Hello, everyone, again. A very warm welcome to the Legions with Babies podcast. Thank you so much for joining. My name is Verena Hefti. As you know, I founded Leaders Plus, an award-winning social enterprise to support leaders with babies and young children. And I am extremely passionate about the fact that it's just not okay that in the UK today, if you have a child and want to care for it, it really impacts on your chances of getting to the most senior jobs. And I think together we can change this. So with this podcast and our award-winning fellowship program, I want to start changing this by giving you access to inspiration, food for thought and practical support so that you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children, but also you can drive change in the organizations where you work. Today's guest I'm very excited about. Many of you will know her. It's Anna Whitehouse. She is a journalist, author, social media influencer and campaigner. Most of you will have come across her Instagram account, Mother Paka, and of course, you will be familiar with her campaigning work for flexible working under hashtag FlexAppeal. Anna and I are having a really honest conversation about campaigning for flexible working, miscarriage and working in the same organization as your partner. Her wise and honest words did speak to me a lot personally and I hope they do to you too. If you are looking for space to have more of these honest and hopefully often wise but sometimes also fun conversations, uh, if you're looking for a group like that and if you are keen to get further support and a senior leader mentor and so on then put the 13th of February in your diary it's the application deadline for our Leaders with Babies Fellowship and there are a few sponsor places available for anyone experiencing hardship so definitely do apply if you want support to accelerate your career and don't want to take it as a given that you have to choose between career acceleration and being an engaged parent so If you're interested, then head over to www.leadersplus.org.uk to download the application. On to the podcast recording. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Anna, for joining us on the podcast. I've been following you through the last few years and your way of being a pioneer in flexible working is really inspirational. Many of our listeners will be familiar with your work, but can you tell us a bit more about what you do? I was originally a journalist and I think probably the easiest way to explain what I do is kind of how I've got to where I am really. And that was um, ironically by quitting uh, my job as a senior copywriter at uh, the L'Oreal Group. And I quit my job because, uh, you know, it's certainly not uh, solely about the L'Oreal group. It's about sort of every company, I think, that has a blanket approach to kind of flexible working. I quit it because uh, the reason given for uh, my flexible working request being denied was that if we give it to you, open the floodgates to others seeking flexible working. So when you ask what I do, I want to challenge why we can't open those floodgates, because um, as far as I'm concerned, people are drowning behind them. Mm. And I think, you know, people feeling like they're drowning don't work well. And so ultimately... My point was, and I think the the irony of it all was, uh, I continued working for that company, but as a freelancer, charging for charging more money, and I thought, well, that's not good for business. So, really, what I do, we launched Flex Appeal in a moment of frustration to help 
businesses break down the fear of flexible working and that's where flex appeal was born really and mm. let's talk about flex mm. yeah I, I absolutely love it and everyone who I talk to always tells me have you heard of mother papa <laughs> she's amazing <laughs> um so I think that's very interesting. So just on a personal level, I want to know, how did you get the courage to just quit your job? I think it came from a very primal maternal place, a very human place of I'd left work and I'd apologize to everybody at work that I'd have to leave this meeting, you know, at 4.49 or 4.59 p.m., got on the tube, uh, somebody got their briefcase trapped in the tube door. And I remember looking at everybody else on that carriage and thinking, oh, I can spot the parents because we're all going, no, we're running that we used to call it running the gauntlets, you know, can you get there in time? And I was 12 minutes late for nursery pickup. And I was faced with my child wondering, not understanding the context of why I was late. So my child looking at me with those big kind of Bambi eyes and a small little Paw Patrol rucksack on, looking at me as, as her mother going, I don't understand why you're late. And then I was sat on one of those tiny primary coloured um, chairs and told off, understandably, because, you know, uh, the nursery where she is has to work in a certain way, uh, told off for sort of being late and charged one pound a minute for those 12, 12 minutes. And I just thought, I'm broken. I can't do this. And I am intelligent. I have worked very hard. I can do this job. I can't do it in this way. And I thought, actually, you know what? I'm not broken. The system is broken. So when you ask where I got the courage from, it's not courage, it's frustration. I think it came from a place of anger and frustration that I had been built up by my parents. And as I'm building my girls up to work hard in your ABCs, work hard in your GCSEs, work hard in your A-levels, go get the dream job. And then to have that sort of curtailed by somebody just going, oh, you've had kids now. So, hey, uh, <laughs> hey, we're going to close the door on that one for a bit. And I just thought, no, no. Mm -hmm. And I've really, it's not courage, it's anger and wanting to keep that, push that door open, not just push it open, but break it down. Mm. And sometimes you need that anger to do yeah. something. And talking about flex then, one thing I seem to get a lot when I talk to the fellows on the Leaders Plus program, when I just talk to people who listen to this podcast, many people tell me my organization is all over flexible working. Some of them are very forward thinking with their flexible working policies. Many line managers are very supportive, but only for junior roles and not for the really senior roles. Is that something that you've come across? And if yes, how have you dealt with it? Well, you know, funnily enough, I come across mostly it's senior roles uh, being able to just do flexible mm, working. You know, I think actually there's uh, the upper layer of most big businesses, the big the big MDs and CEOs and COOs, they come and go as they please. Mm. So flexible working isn't even considered there. It's just done. So, you know, I don't think uh, whenever we've spoken about flexible working, it's not for one group of individuals at any one point, which is obviously what you've just said. But I don't think it works for juniors unless seniors do it. You know, I think that you have to lead by example. And the best example there is Robert Reitbrook from PepsiCo in New Zealand, you know, it costs nothing. He introduced a working, um, a leaving loudly policy 
where everybody just had to leave the office very loudly. And that included senior management. And I think only when senior management own the flexible working narrative and do leave loudly will actually the juniors be able to do it. You hear a lot of people who get their flexible working requests accepted and then feel they cannot do it because actually it will curtail their career or it will be seen as a negative thing if they do actually follow through on something that's been agreed. But ideally, there wouldn't be a flexible working policy. Mm. Ideally... Because I feel that like as soon as you have a flexible working policy, it immediately becomes inflexible. Mm. Um, so to answer your question, I feel that those right at the top are doing it already. I feel that those at the bottom, even if they have it, they can't do it because those in the middle aren't taking it on and are still set in quite archaic ways. That's really interesting. With those in the middle, though, which is probably, you know, a lot of the listeners to this podcast will be people in middle leadership who are maybe in their first direct roles, maybe in senior manager roles, but maybe don't work for people like, did you say Rob, who was doing amazing things. Do you have any reflections on how you become a pioneer of living flexibly while everybody around you on a more senior level isn't doing that? One thing that HSBC did, uh, which I found very useful, was they have an internal podcast about flexible working. So it's something that all senior management, middle management have to listen to as part of that HR program. Uh, and it's, I think it's, it's either monthly or bi-monthly, but it's an opportunity for experts outside of their company to bring our insight and understanding and break open conversations, taboos, give examples, case studies. And one thing I thought was very useful was Deloitte, for example, on their homepage, they have on their jobs homepage, they have case studies of everybody working flexibly, very, very different roles, very different reasons, some reasons not even given, which I think is great to see. And that unlocks, I think, a lot of managers' blocks with it can't happen because actually they're saying publicly, Deloitte is saying publicly, it ha- it can happen and it does happen and here is how it happens. So then those managers have something very public to be able to use and utilise and say, oh, well, you know, if Frank here is doing community service for two days of every week and he's working a similar role to this role, maybe that can work. And equally... The roles there, there's senior managers on the Deloitte website who are working flexibly for whatever reason. So why not say, well, yes, I can do this too and lead from there. I think it's about ownership at this point and also acknowledging that flexible working isn't one-way traffic. It's not just an employee demanding what they want. It's not just an employer saying, no, oi, sit there do as I say. It's a relationship. It's two-way. And that's what I think gets lost in this conversation is it feels like a massive thing. Like a senior manager cannot, you know, work flexibly. Well, yes, they can because flexible working doesn't necessarily mean sitting at home watching, you know, homes under the hammer in your underpants. It, it can mean simply, like I was requesting, coming in 15 minutes earlier and leaving 15 minutes earlier without having to say to anyone you're doing that. It's as simple as not feeling owned, I think. So I think what we're trying to do is break down that big barrier of fear to say, well, try it. And there is no fear because if it doesn't work, you have that conversation Mm. between the two humans involved and go, well, this isn't working because you're not 
producing the work you need to produce. So mm. we're going to need to work around that. How are we going to change this? But it's not something that needs to be set in stone. Mm. Um, so I think that is my only advice really is to, you know, for companies to make very public statements about how they're working, not just have a very loose, flexible working policy and make all the right noises, show the how, not the we're doing this and try it, try it, give it a go. And if it doesn't work, be open to how it didn't work. Learn, you know, accept that we're in transition and you are part of, uh, you are a pioneer in changing the working world, changing the fabric of our working world. And that is really exciting. You can change that, not just for you, but for your own kids or your god kids or the kid on the bus opposite you mm. on your morning commute. You can you can change things. Mm, absolutely. And it, so, as I mentioned, I'm from Switzerland. And even just when I went to primary school, without disclosing my exact age, it was completely normal for everyone to work on a Saturday. And nowadays, obviously, that's completely unheard of. And sometimes we forget that change is possible and that actually it's it's not going to for our kids hopefully it's not going to be that way the way of being at work will hopefully be completely different yeah well i think it was um sari and mckellen's great great grandfather who pioneered the two-day weekend in the uk in like 1846 and you know the ceos and coos saying no to flexible working uh they're enjoying a two-day weekend a lot of the time you know you, you you're exactly right it's exactly right you you forget that change has to start somewhere. And it was an exhausted factory worker in 1846 who went, guys, we shouldn't be doing a six-day week. We're all burning <laughs> out. Uh, so why can it not be a group of individuals across industry, private sector, public sector, who grab the bull by the horns and go, hey, we, we need to change this, not just for employees, but for employers? Mm. That just makes me think of your TED talk, which I've just listened to on the way and on the way here. And I love this concept of chickens. Uh, <laughs> chickens. <laughs> yeah. uh, did you want to just explain it for those who haven't, haven't yeah. seen it? Yeah. Uh, so when Matt and I were asked to do um, a TED talk, we just thought, how are we going to paint the picture of what it is to feel owned by a company? Because a lot of the time, a lot of people give me criticism. They're like, I love the nine to five. Stop trying to break it down. I want to sit in the office. I want those barriers and boundaries in place. And I'm like, I'm not fighting to break down the nine to five. I'm fighting to give people a choice. There's a difference. So sit where you want, do the nine to five. But then those that don't fit into that, allow them without any resentment or judgment to work outside of that. That's what really we're fighting for. And when we did the TED Talk, the best way to equate it was with uh, the analogy drawn was between sort of battery chickens and free range chickens. And you look at what a free range chicken produces, it's a better quality egg. It's really quite simple. You look at the, the image we drew parallels with. The image uh, we drew parallels with was a battery cage with 20 chickens in it. And, you know, an office at night where you see all the lights and the strip lit lighting and the sort of rickety office chairs and the parallel, the shape and squares of just people contained was quite powerful. Mm. And I think it really made people think, what are we doing here, actually? You know, it's very easy to continue in this hamster wheel of work. And it's not to say to do less work, but to do it in a healthier way. 
the free range chicken produces great eggs. The eggs are still there. They're better. But because the chicken can breathe and walk and live. So, you know, quite a basic analogy, but it drew in a lot of the right eyes because Mm. it allowed people to look outside of you know, what they have to do, what they should do, what HR policy says, like black and white documents. Mm. It just made them say, well, there's humans involved in this business. Exactly. Um, And what we need to do is we need to pull in people into that conversation that wouldn't naturally be interested. We need to pull in the people who generally, who would prefer the nine to five and who do want to be there uh, all around. We have mentioned flex appeal. Yeah. But we haven't said what it actually involves. Can you tell us what it involves and how people can get it, get Involved. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Flex Appeal is our campaign to fight for flexible working for everyone. And I think that's the important point in there is it's not for mummies or daddies, as I often get a lot of criticism for. They're like, oh, you're just fighting for parents. No, no, I'm not. I happen to be a parent, but um, I'm fighting for those with caring responsibilities, those living with disabilities, uh, those just wanting to live without actually giving any reason whatsoever. And that's not uh, petulance. That's not demanding. It's a good thing for business. So we've got two sides to it. We have the human communication side, which is we've just got a significant amount of funding from from a uh, multi-million pound company who are going to help us communicate the human side of why flexible working is essential for business. I think we keep repeating that for business, for your business. It's not for the employees. It's great. It's a, a byproduct that they're happier, healthier, more productive, but ultimately it's for you to make more money. And uh, that's what we keep coming back to is that bottom line. And then there's the lobbying side. Uh, So we have formed a coalition with five or six other groups within this area. And we're lobbying government uh, to make a change to the fact that flexible working is available after you can make a request after 26 weeks. And we wanted to get that flexible from day one across all industry, public, private sector. Because if you're feeling like, you need to earn flexible working, that it's a bonus, that it's a little nice to have, that, you know, you've been a good employee, so we're going to give you this. It's never Mm. going to change the narrative. It's going to be just seen as a little added extra when it's actually a fundamental shift in how we work. And only when flexible working is available from day one everywhere will talent be able to ebb and flow and move. At the moment, what you've got are people who have secured flexible working and then will never leave because of fear, you know, that they go to another job, they've got to wait 26 weeks to bed into that job before asking if they can potentially, maybe not, have the same flexible working uh, set up. And you're ending up with, you know, I, as a parent or as, let's say, a friend of mine has a father with Alzheimer's as somebody who has very specific timing uh, needs from those I'm caring for you know I can't I can't risk that so then talent stagnates and ultimately coming back to while we're fighting for this flex appeal is for businesses it's to help businesses get more you know not less out of their employees get more out of them Mm. American people find more about it and get involved So uh, we have a tab on our website, Flex, and it's at motherpucker.co.uk. And my Instagram at mother underscore pucker is where everything is really all sits there. That's the main holding page. And our lobbying side is at Flex for all. Brilliant. You mentioned Instagram. So I am not very au fait with 
social media stuff. I have wonderful people who help me with that because I don't really uh, enjoy it. But I'm interested. So you must have a constant flood of stuff that comes through messages and so on. How do you set boundaries? And the reason I'm asking this is because so many people tell me that their work is flexible, but also it's 24 hours. How do you set boundaries in your work? Well, I'd have to say I'm probably the worst poster girl for flexible working because I feel the conversation has to move from, you know, well, people are going to do less if they work flexibly to how do we help people switch off over productivity is the topic that needs to be discussed, not under productivity. And I have been working flexibly for four years now and I absolutely burnt out last year. I didn't know where to switch off, who I was, what was going on. I was doing so much and I was making myself stressed just looking at my own Instagram. Like I wasn't in control of it. I just let the boundaries go. And uh, like BP, who did a recent trial period of flexible working one of their um, in one of their units, And they said productivity was up 30% within three weeks, but people were burning out. So they were like delighted. They were like, great, we're making more money. Everyone's working a lot harder, but people couldn't switch off. And they had to get to the point where they were saying to people, stop emailing us. You know, like you need to stop now. I think that's, that's where there's a bigger issue is you give people flexible working and they end up, as I think we've both experienced from hearing from people, They end up, let's say, doing five days in four for less money. And then they end up just doing those five days in four. And that's not flexible working. That's extortion. You know, that is a what company would say no to somebody going down to four days, earning one day less money and doing the same amount of work as before. I mean, every company is going to go, yeah, that's great. I mean, continue as you are. And, you know, that's not flexible working. And that's what we're challenging at the moment, you know, is um, like you said, we said it's it's about overproductivity that's my fear and that's something I've experienced so I think the conversation needs to move that way. So if someone is at the very start of even thinking about flexible working requests they're coming back from shared parental leave and they want to put in a flexible working request but nobody else in their division is working flexibly yeah where should they start? So I think the best place to start is, uh, you know, it's, it's quite basic or as uh, Instagram people say, hashtag basic. <laughs> but, you know, I really pull together those business. Don't lose the business focus. So the people I hear from regularly whose flexible working requests go through is it's two pronged approach is accepting that you can't go in going, I want this, I deserve this, give it to me. That tone at the moment doesn't work. You know, there is, the only way it works is if you go in as if this is a relationship, a discussion, and how can we make this work? And so clear business case, clear points, this will cut down my commute, this will mean I can answer client needs before 8am before they get in instead of 9am when I get off my train, you know, really pinpoint the very specific ways in which your flexible working request can bolster the business. Then I think because most employers have fear, if it's the first time that it's happening, there's that huge fear barrier, suggest a three month trial period or even a month if there is significant fear and say, give me this month or give me this three months and I will show you how it will work. We will then measure it and this is how we will measure it. So there is then at the end of it, no way for an employer to get out of that if there's a clear trajectory of how it's going to work. 
then suggest, look, <laughs> we want to close gender pay gaps. You wield the gender pay gap. We want a diverse and inclusive workforce. You know, flexible working has been listed by the Equality and Human Rights Commission as the primary way to close the gender pay gap and ensure there's an inclusive and diverse workforce. Those are things we as a business want, regardless of what business, use those two points. So I am very happy to then support other people within the business of how we did this, where it went wrong, you know, what were the, the realities of it? And here's how, you know, productivity went up and why. And mm. I'm the human telling that story. And I think we each have an opportunity to help companies transition. Yeah, you'll get maybe get the door shoved in your face. That is absolutely what will probably happen. That's the reality right now. And, you know, there is a utopian world where suddenly you do all the things I've just said and it happens. It probably won't. But you know what will happen is you will have opened their minds to the next time mm. someone comes. You then go in again six months later. You keep pushing. You suggest setting up a, a flexible working network like they have at HSBC. You start the conversation elsewhere in the business give them a bit of fear going well why is this conversation happening outside of my department talk to hr have focus groups it's going to take more effort and this is what i get quite a lot um people going you should do this you should do that i said no 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 you should do this you mm -hmm. should do that mm -hmm. this is not for the equality and human rights commission to just fix it's not for the government just to fix it's not for me to fix it's for all of us individually to fix because we are in a state of flux mm. and don't underestimate your own power and your own voice you know i think that's it don't just quit like I did. You know, I'm frustrated that I didn't sit there and go, I can actually do something here before I quit maybe and try and change the narrative here in a very small way. It might not seem significant, but every challenge is significant. And when it comes then more regularly, it starts to shift people's mindset so that maybe the fifth or sixth person who comes to ask for that flexible working request to go through, it goes through. The way you've described it just now, it is a leadership challenge. Selling and engaging others in flexible working is a leadership challenge. And I'm so in awe of people who do that within their organizations. Sam Pithuna, who set up the Flexible Working Network at HSBC, she's one of our fellows. There's something really courageous about being the first person to raise it. And it's really tough sometimes to go and speak to the relevant people who haven't heard of flexible working, don't know all the brilliant benefits. But actually, even if you get the door shoved in your face, as you said, you are going to make a path for the future generation. So I think it's really important. Is there anything else that we should talk about in terms of something that is really useful to people who are coming back from leave, want to approach I think, people for flexible uh, working? Yes, actually. So we work very closely with working families. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're free legal helpline has helped a lot of people. So we have regular meetings with them. We've done a lot of talks with working families and they have really helped sort of with the nuts and bolts of how to put a request in and legally where you stand, which can feel quite, you feel quite lonely when you're going through these things because you can't always talk to your colleagues or even HR, you know, you feel like, I'm on my own here so they can help and we run a free flexible working clinic on my Instagram every month with the first fully flexible law firm Osborne and Wise so they sort of specialize in legal flexible working requests and employment law um, but they also all work remotely and flexibly so mm. it's quite a nice uh, 
synergy. That, that's amazing. That, yeah. That's it's really brilliant. And especially in law, yeah. you know, especially in law where there's huge client demand, and they wanted to prove that despite huge client demand, you can still do this. And they are incredible, very light on their feet, and uh, they're challenging again the sort of legal world and mm. saying we can do it, so you can. What's your advice for people who? whose biggest challenge isn't the manager, but is to communicate it to clients or beneficiaries? So I think that's something linking on from Osborne and Wise. I asked them this because obviously I think, you know, the legal world is quite a traditional client sort of focused industry. And they said that it really does come down to very clear communication. So they all work remotely. They have a central hub, but they ebb and flow within that hub. And what they will say is uh, if they're working flexibly for that day, Eliza, who I work with, Eliza Nash there, she will say, we will, someone will get back to you within three hours. And often what clients need is just an answer, you know, and then the client, if they come back and say, this is a panic code red situation that we cannot manage unless, you know, you get on this in the next 10 minutes. She will, she will have her boundaries very clearly in, in place, but they always have somebody because they communicate so clearly within the team who can take that on. So they all share information. So Eliza might be at her child's nativity play at that point, and she's not going to be able to work. So then Daniel, her, her co-partner, he will then take that on as an emergency situation. But she said, we've rarely had to do that because all clients need is actually a bit of management and expectations mm. managed. Uh, they're human too. And there's such a panic cycle often that you, you can push back on the panic at times. And, you know, you, you've got to read that panic. Is this something that really, you know, the, the world will end if I don't get on this in the next five minutes? But I think as long as you're communicating and not just leaving silence, um, you're owning your boundaries whilst also managing the expectations of others. And like I said, it won't be perfect. We're not talking about it always working it's about relationships. It's about being flexible from the employer and the employee side. And Eliza at times will go, well, actually, you know, in this situation, I can hop into a cafe for 20 minutes and just do this. And then I'm going to take an extra 20 minutes later. So she said, because the goodwill is there, because this company has entrusted me with the work and has given me the freedom to work how I want to work, I will go above and beyond for them. I will never ever lose them business. I will always ensure things are met, but I will do that in a way that works for me and own my boundaries as much as I can. But, you know, it won't always work. And I think it's being open to the fact that it's not so binary. Interesting. And do you know practically what to do? So is it a shared inbox between the two partners that you've mentioned? Or is it a super duper PA who will keep an eye on the inbox and file off requests to different colleagues? I don't want to speak out of turn for them because I'm not in their company. But I think if you speak to them, uh, they would be really interested. You could really get a detailed insight mm. into how they do it. But I think they, you, you know, Slack is obviously used. They communicate a lot. I know that much just by email, but there's not a huge number of them. So I think, you know, this is an example of a smaller company who can to be honest they don't need a big system because they are able to communicate quite clearly day to day but yeah I would definitely ask them the specifics because I wouldn't want to answer in the wrong way of course of course 
So I want to ask you something completely different, yes. uh, which I've just picked up from looking at your Instagram and so on. You work very closely with your husband, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And I know a number of our listeners do uh, have met their partners at work. How do you create boundaries there in terms of having a home life and uh, obviously a, a, a couple relationship and at the same time working together? Oh, I mean, we don't, we just, you know, we fight all the time. <laughs> it's not, it's not great all the time, but I love him. The way that we're working, the journey I've gone on to get here hasn't been anything hugely premeditated. It's just sort of happened. So we've had to fall in place, which has a bit of collateral damage along the way, you know, because we're not, both of us aren't prepared for shifts in, you know, I out and Matt, and that's had a bit of, you know, that's had, that's had a bit of getting used to it. It's, it's seen as emasculating in an archaic world where the men sort of slap bacon on the table and um, bring that bacon home. And uh, so that took a bit of shifting and it's just managing each other, I suppose, as well. Uh, but I mean, to be really blunt, we've <laughs> written a book about how hard it's been called uh, Where's My Happy Ending? And it's about not necessarily just working with your partner, but I think managing the day-to-day -day, or as we say the sort of gray to gray of needs family needs work needs every every other need other than the need between the two people who where it all started really you're like bottom of the pile and how to reprioritize that is the big challenge for us I think regardless of what your working setup is there will always be a slight imbalance. There will always be slight resentment. I don't know many families where everyone's sort of um, Von Trapp-esque and singing The Hills Are Alive. You know, mm. I think it's either, you know, a guy ends up continuing to work and woman stays at home. That still happens. Initially, you know, it's out of choice. And then there becomes a point of resentment maybe a year later when maternity leave is up. They don't go back to work. And there's a sense of, wait a sec, how do I do this? But then I'd be paying to go to work because of childcare costs. But then where, why am I paying to go to work? Why wouldn't the childcare costs be split above, across the two of us? And why did he continue working? Oh, because of the gender pay gap. And I was earning a lot less. So if one of us had to give up our job, it's me. And, you know, I think it, it, it's, there's always going to be a layer of resentment and frustration when you have family, work and two humans trying to keep that going. The only way we get through is by laughing more than we're crying. And, you know, I count a cheeky bum squeeze by the dishwasher uh, as um, high priority as uh, our fun nights out when we first met. Mm. Mm -hmm. And thank you for being so honest about this. It's so, that really resonates, this idea that actually it's okay if it's not perfect. Um, and it is I don't if think you are, anyone has anything. I know it's I know. not perfect and yeah I think that uh as long as you can hold on to each other through what can sometimes seem like fairly bleak times you know I think you throw in postnatal depression you know you throw in lactating breasts you throw in infected c-section scars you know there's there's a physical side to all of this as well that plays a big part and i think that one woman we interviewed in the book said um this is by far the period that you're in right now with a young family working this is by far one of the hardest points as a couple or as a single mum or whoever you are this young young family 
big job is the toughest time and she just said hang on my lovelies it does get better <laughs> I was like I'm waiting for the sun to come <laughs> the other thing I'm interested in following on your Instagram is you're very outspoken about miscarriage even on your bio it, it says seven pregnancies and two two children that's a very brave thing to do not many people are that outspoken what gave you the courage to do that or did it need any courage you know, I think bravery and courage are often words kind of I see used not necessarily in relation to me, but I see them used a lot. And I think a lot of the time it's not it's not about it's not really about bravery or courage necessarily. It's it's about a need to connect to other people, I think. Um, quite a primal human need to uh, connect to other people when you're at your lowest ebb. And a lot of people find holding up waiting for a period of time in a dark hole and hoping for the sun to come through again. I, as a journalist, have always shared what's on my mind, what are, what, what are my thoughts, what do I feel in relation to the world at large. And it just would have felt dishonest to keep tap dancing around in in Instagram or doing whatever job I do. You know, I work on a radio station that's called Turn Up the Feel Good. It's called Heart, you know, and we throw forward to songs and it's all about being uplifted and turning up the feel good and happiness. And I don't feel that life is just like that. You know, that is a huge part of it, but equally there's light and there's dark. And so it was important to me to share the lightness, but also the dark. And it really came down to a good friend of mine who I realized, you know, she didn't say, well, at least, you know, you'd got pregnant. She, um, just gave me some Jaffa cakes, a cup of tea. And she just said, it's shit and I'm here. And I remember thinking it really is the difference between sympathy, at least you can get pregnant, and empathy, it's shit, I'm here. And uh, when I heard that, I thought that's something I want to communicate because I think that might help friends of those going through miscarriage, but also those going through miscarriage to realize maybe what they need. You don't need someone justifying your grief. Uh, you need someone to sit in the hole with you. Mm. Yeah. I think that's very powerful and there's nothing more to add. Th thank you for being that honest okay. and open about it. It's really uh, appreciated. Thank you for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and got a lot out of it. And thank you for supporting the podcast by listening all the way through to the end. A massive thank you every, to everyone who has been sharing the podcast with their friends on social media or told their friends via word of mouth. It does make a difference. I've been blown away to the response to the first series and I would love to double the amount of people who are listening and who, to make sure that this work makes an even bigger impact. So if you do want to support this work, then please send a message to five friends who you think might enjoy this content and or to share it on social media. I love talking to Anna today. If you have any other suggestions of great people who really would be interesting to the listeners, then drop me a message. My email address is verena, V-E-R-E-N-A, at leadersplus.org.uk or you can get in touch via Twitter or Instagram on at leaders underscore plus. Now, the other thing to say, if you do have a friend who is on maternity or shared parental leave, or if you have a young child under three yourself, and if you don't want to choose between pursuing really ambitious career aspirations and enjoying your young family, 
then definitely do apply to the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program. The deadline is 13th of February, as I said in the beginning. The hope is not only to support individuals to progress, and in the first cohort we had a third of people promoted from the first year, but also we're hoping that the fellows become a movement of change makers and drive change in their organisation. And that's already starting to happen. So the more the merrier. And I'm really encouraging you all to apply and get your friends to apply. Any questions to get in touch. And of course, if you do have a baby, then you're very welcome to bring her or him along to our events and sessions. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week.